I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper and let's get rolling. Welcome in now, everyone, to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. Thank you all for tuning in today. We have got a, a great show planned. It's a big day in Auburn sports. It's a big basketball game tonight against Texas A&M. We're going to have a full breakdown on that. We're going to continue our breakdown on current transfers into Auburn, talking about a few more guys on today's show. And we're going to start out today by recapping the South Carolina game from Saturday. So Auburn plays South Carolina on Saturday, and that concluded what really was going to end up being Auburn's easiest stretch of conference play of the season. And Auburn finished it with a win on the road, 81-66. to Now, South Carolina is the worst team in the SEC, one of the worst teams in major college basketball uh, this year. They've been beaten by worse at home on their home court. Auburn was up by 26 at one point in this game. They hit a lull there in the second half. Right as they were putting in some backups, Arkansas switched up their defense a little bit and gave Auburn some issues. Gigi Jackson, who, who funny enough, is a stud and an NBA player on an absolutely horrendous team, went off for 30 points. Um, it, it is weird how that works in college basketball that you can have a player uh, of Gigi Jackson's level on a team as bad as South Carolina. This isn't something that we've never seen before. We saw this with Georgia and Anthony Edwards a few years back. Uh, so it is the, the situation at hand for the Gamecocks. But nonetheless, Auburn uh, got the job done. Uh, they, they, they did what they needed to do on the road to be put themselves in a really good position, position heading into a very, very tough stretch. Uh, of conference play to come, they're sitting at six and one in conference, sixteen and three overall. If you had and said at this point that after I guess with the George game or even after non-conference that Auburn be six and one in conference, sixteen and three overall, I think a lot of people would have would have had doubts, including myself. So I'm thrilled that the position that this team has put themselves in, they put themselves in a great position to really not have to do too much more in conference play to put themselves in the tournament. Now, as far as still competing for the SEC, as far as trying to get as high a seat as possible, well, there's still a lot to gain to be gained there and a lot of opportunities ahead and a lot of challenges ahead starting with the A&M game. But again, before we get into that, I want to look back at some standouts from the South Carolina game. How can you not start with Janai Broom in the game that he had against the Gamecocks? He had 27 points. He had been quiet. He had been quiet the last couple of games. He had played against some some tougher big men uh, that gave him some trouble. Uh, luckily, the guards have stepped up and played well in those games, kind of making up for, for his lack of production. But he's a very important player for this team, as we know. And, man, South Carolina started. They tried to go with a little bit of a small ball lineup. And wow, that was dumb. And they had to change that real quick, but it didn't matter. Even when they switched up, made some lineup adjustments, he continued to get whatever he wanted. He dominated 12 of 17 from the floor, two blocks, 11 rebounds. It, it was a amazing, a phenomenal performance from Janai Broom playing at that all SEC level. Great to see from him. Look, he's going to face more challenging players, uh, including again, 
tonight against A&M. But if he can continue to play at this level, I'm not saying 27 points every, every night. I know it's not going to be possible. But if he can continue to, to get close to that double-double pace, Auburn's going to be in a good spot moving forward the rest of the season. Jalen Williams also had another good game. Uh, didn't make any threes. He was over two from, from there, but he overall had 12 points in the game. Uh, five for 11 from the field. Wendell Green continues to play extremely well. Continues on his stretch. Uh, has 16 in this one. Another. Him and Janai at, at the one and the five are going to be crucial. Crucial for this Auburn team success. If those two guys are having good nights, and Auburn's probably going to win the, uh, win games. He and Wendell's so important. Point guards are so important in basketball, especially in this age in college basketball. And uh, for him to continue to play well, he's playing at an extremely high level. The best, I believe, he has played. Maybe you could argue since last January he was playing pretty well then. Uh, but I think this is maybe the best he has played in his career so far. He needs to keep that up uh, going forward as Auburn enters a tougher stretch of, of competition. Another big takeaway for me, uh, Alan Flanagan. Uh, had zero turnovers in this game. He didn't have a ton of points, but let's see, how many exactly rebounds did he have? He had 10 rebounds in this game. That's huge. And I'm going to talk more about that later on as well in the, in the A&M scout. Uh, again, only eight points. He didn't get double digits, but he played a very good game. And him being turnover free, again, as those that, that have been very critical of him, that's, that's been one of the criticisms is his turnovers. And again, I root for Alan Flanagan, as I've said before. Uh, really hard because of everything he's been through from injuries, from the criticism that he's experienced for his, for his play. That's not to say that he's not going to have some struggles. He may struggle tonight. I don't know. I hope not. But the way he's playing right now is is also has, has taken this Auburn team to another level. He's always been good defensively, but what he's been able to add rebounding this year is he's gotten uh, more comfortable with that uh, ankle or Achilles injury um, and what he's added offensively has been a huge plus uh, for this team. And then Johan Treyor, he, he finally knocked down a couple threes in this game. He was allowed to have a little bit more freedom shooting uh, in this game because uh, of the situation and the score, and he certainly took advantage of it. He certainly threw up a couple more threes uh, in there that he didn't necessarily have to take, but he, but he chose, to, chose to take them because the opportunity was there with the, with the big lead. And again, he, he's another one of those freshmen. Like, I've talked about Chance Westry a lot. I've not talked about Treyor a lot. And he plays, but you see, he's not playing a ton of minutes uh, because he hadn't been near as productive as I think the staff might have hoped. But the thing with him goes back to the fact that he's only played basketball for a few years. He's, he's from France, does not play basketball for long, so he's still extremely raw. Yes, I know he was a five-star I think that had more to do just with his pure size and athleticism than it did with his development as far as skills went uh, regarding play of basketball. But he's someone that you know as he stays in this program with Auburn. Uh, he's not going to be a one-and-done. As he continues to develop and this coaching staff continues to work with him, he'll improve. And uh, if he stays on here for a second or third year, he could end up being a, a really good player, I think, for Auburn. It's good to see him make strides. I don't want to put too much stock into him knocking down a couple threes and finishing with eight points, though, against South Carolina, like I said, the worst team in, in the SEC. So there's that. It was good to see from him, but again, I'm not, I'm not putting too much, too much stock into that overall. But like I said, it was good for this Auburn team to finish uh, this stretch of 
so-called easier games, six and one, to get the win on the road when you when you had uh, back-to-back road games this week, uh, this past week. That's always a challenge. Like I said uh, last Wednesday, it it didn't matter that they were two quote unquote easier games. They were still road games that still makes them challenging, and, and Auburn did what they needed to do uh, moving forward. So with that being said, I'm going to flip to football and then we'll go back to basketball here a little later on. So we still got a few more minutes left in this segment. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into a couple breakdowns of a few more transfer portal guys before we head to break. So I'm going to start out here uh, with Brian Batty. Uh, it sounds like it's spelled like Batty, but it's pronounced Batty. Uh, he's the running back transfer from USF. He's a smaller guy. He is a, but speed and quickness is truly what you're going to get from him. He's a scat back. He's, he will probably be a returner, which will allow you to take, uh, Jarquez out from having to return. You don't necessarily want your, your starting running back as a return man. And so this provides depth to the running back room. Of course, you've got Jarquez back, who's going to be your main guy, but you add, uh, Batty in there along with Damari Austin along with Jeremiah Cobb, who's going to be coming in, and you've got a really good running back room. I don't know necessarily that that Batiste necessarily just going to be a third down back. I think that he is a guy who can take legitimate carries. I don't see him as a Sean Shivers type back, Is that if that's what you're kind of thinking when you hear the the short, speed, quickness type of back. He, he is smaller, yes, but he, he I think he could be an every down back if if needed to be. But again, somebody who's going to thrive more on the edge. Uh, gives me more Ontario McCaleb vibes, if you want to go back that far, all the way back to 2010. That That's what I kind of get from him. I hope he can have that level of impact uh, on this team. I think that was a good pickup. Auburn was in on Dylan Johnson, uh, the transfer running back from Mississippi State. His recruitment is still up in the air a little bit. He committed to Washington, but there, there's some noise that, that he might go elsewhere. But that's neither here nor there. Auburn ends up settling in on uh, Brian Batty, which is a still a very talented running back, and some would argue maybe even a, a better get than Dylan Johnson would have been. So I like this pick uh, pickup for Auburn. I think this is uh, one of the top five probably guys that Auburn got here in the transfer portal. The next is a wide receiver, Nick Mardiner. He is a six six wide receiver. There is a connection here. He was under Marcus Davis at Hawaii when Marcus Davis was the wide receivers coach out in Hawaii in 2021. And that's when Nick Mardner had his best season to date was out there at Hawaii. He then transferred to Cincinnati for this past season. He had a little around 300 yards passing, was not near as big of a producer as he was at Hawaii where he racked up over 1,000 yards receiving. Obviously, Auburn is hoping to tap into the the closer to the 1,000-yard receiver player uh, than the around 300-yard receiver player. But he's obviously, while he wasn't a super high-rated player, he's someone that this staff thinks highly of. And I think that Marcus Davis certainly must have pushed for him, thinking, I can get more out of this guy. Look what we were able to do in 2021 with him. So Auburn pushed. They got him. When you think about 6'6", you're immediately thinking, okay, he's going to be more of a red zone threat. But actually... He's been used more as a big play threat, as a downfield receiver. He still can position himself. No, he's not going to have next-level speed. But you can go on these go routes. You think of DK Metcalf type of guys who who are big, who are physical, who are strong. Uh, and DK is pretty fast. I'm not saying he's to that level of speed. 
but someone who can just put themselves in the right position, you throw them a go ball, they're able to position their bodies to make the catch. That's what he's been able to do when you look at his film. But I also think he's going to add to what should be a scary red zone uh, receiving core for Auburn when you think about Rivaldo Fairweather, who I'm going to talk about later, when you think about Landon King, um, when you uh, in- include a guy like Nick Mardner in there uh, with, with those receivers uh, and that talent, it- it's going to be dangerous in the red zone as far as size goes. So I'm very much looking forward to, to this to this addition uh, by Nick Mardner and looking forward to see what he's going to add uh, to this team moving forward. The next addition I want to talk about is Lawrence Johnson. He's an interior defensive lineman transfer from Purdue. He started, I believe, at Purdue. I don't necessarily think he'll start at Auburn. But again, Auburn really felt that they needed to kind of to add some more depth and to really rebuild this defensive line. I also had a lot of confidence that there was talent in this defensive line room that could be developed, that could be uh, grown. That's not to say I didn't think there needed to be some additions. But staff kind of disagreed with me a little bit on that, and they really went after defensive linemen hard, as we talked about uh, Justin Rogers on last show. They got Lawrence Johnson, uh, again, going to be interior nose, a one-technique type of guy, and I really think more of a roll-in, you know, around 20 snaps or so uh, per game, not necessarily a starter, but someone certainly uh, that you need uh, to bring uh, some experience to this room and some depth to this room. So again, still a good addition. We have the same level of impact that I think some of the other transfers will have. No, but again, who knows? I, I could be completely wrong on that. It's certainly hard to pr- predict uh, impact of high schoolers, none, uh, much less transfers and how they all will pan out. We certainly saw that this year with, with certain transfers from the Brian Harson era that we really thought would have a big impact that really didn't at all. So certainly something to, to keep an eye on as you think about these transfers as a whole. With that, we'll wrap up this first segment here of Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. After the break, we will continue on talking about uh, a few more transfers to finish out this list, and then we'll move on to more basketball. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Alabama Securities Commission. Welcome back into Talking Tumors now as we continue our breakdown of Auburn transfers. We'll start now with Mosiah Nasil Kite. He is another transfer defensive lineman. He comes from the Big Ten as well, but from Maryland. He was a starter at Maryland in all Big Ten honorable mention. He is someone who I believe could be a starter if needed for this Auburn uh, defensive line this year. He also gives some more flexibility than someone like Justin Rogers or Lawrence Johnson. Uh, he can move from anywhere from a one technique to a three technique, which again, one technique is inside shade of the, the center, where uh, a three technique outside shade of the guard. Um, you can, again, also head up two. Again, gives you more flexibility there. Uh, a talented, a talented player. Um, so certainly another, another addition, another good addition to this Auburn defensive line. Uh, I haven't watched a, a ton of film on him. That's just a, a little bit of what I've noticed. Uh, from from doing so with him, so I don't have much to much to say on him. Besides, again, I think he's another good addition to solidify some depth and to to bring a little bit more production to this defensive defensive line room. As I've said before, with Ron Roberts' defense, 
he wants to go back to doing a little bit more of what we saw with Kevin Steele as defensive coordinator, and that was rotating a bunch of guys in on the defensive line. Uh, and, and you do that so your guys don't wear down. In the SEC, especially, you're facing so many up-tempo offenses. And, and I think it did hurt this Auburn team this past year that that whether it was Brian Harson's decision or Jeff Schmetting's decision to not really rotate along the defensive line, and you get worn down in the second half. It's a physical game. And so I do think you got to have the talent to be able to do it, but I do think it is important to be able to rotate guys along that defensive line if you're going to pl- be able to play your best in the second half. And we talk about second half letdowns and how poorly Auburn played in the second half. You can you can talk about adjustments, you can fuss about those things, but I think it also comes down to to this situation of not rotating guys and guys not being fresh, no matter how well you condition. It, I, again, I've never played in the SEC, but I, I know that second halves are brutal. They're tough at any level, and I know especially with the way college football is now, they are extremely tough, and that was something I admired about Kevin Steele and Rodney Garner and rotating guys along the defensive line to keep them fresh. That way they're at their best or the best they can be come the fourth quarter, and so I think Ron Roberts and this defense, they're going to try to go back uh, to doing that, and I think that'll be, if you have the talent to do it and guys who can still produce who are not necessarily starters, then you can have a successful defense and be playing at at nearly your highest level come the fourth quarter. And, and I, I saw somebody the other day make a point uh, about the Iron Bowl, wondering if, if you know, Derek Hall is fresh there in the Iron Bowl. We're talking not this past year, but the year before, the one at uh, Jordan-Hare. Maybe Auburn wins that game. Maybe they get to Bryce Young another time and get a sack, and he doesn't lead that game-tying drive. Who knows? It, it's food for thought. It doesn't matter now. Uh, but it, it certainly is interesting to think about. But let's get back on track here. The next guy I want to talk about is Gunnar Britton. He is a transfer offensive tackle from Western Kentucky. Huge get. Huge get. We, we've talked about uh, one offensive line transfer, I believe, to date. We're going to talk about two right here, starting with Gunnar Britton. He uh, was one of the one of the first transfer offensive linemen, if not the first. I can't remember exactly. Uh, to commit to Auburn, uh, he's going to be a guy who... We, I expect, and I think most people expect to immediately start at one of the tackles, either left or right. Uh, he is a very good pass blocker. He still ha- has some growth to be done as far as run blocking goes, especially with what he's going to face in the SEC. But and also that has to do part of because Western Kentucky, as you know, Auburn played them is a you know air raid, aired out offense, so he didn't have to run block much either, so he didn't get a ton of practice in that. I'm sure that's going to be something he, he will focus a lot on uh, moving forward in the spring to try to, to, to improve upon. But he's a very smart guy. Uh, this is his last year of eligibility, and, and he said it. Look, I'm here. I'm here to play at the highest level. I'm here to get to work. Uh, I'm here to to compete and to win, but also, you know, he's here for personal gain to improve himself, to try to put himself at the best chance to get to the next level. And what better way to do that than come and play at one of the, the best uh, schools in the SEC, in the SEC West. And, he, and he's going to do that this year at Auburn. Uh, he's excited about this opportunity. And I'm looking forward uh, to him. I think he will be an improvement at tackle over what we've had in the past. Again, there's still some question marks, like I said, with the run blocking. I think he's going to be perfectly fine pass blocking. I don't have concerns about that. I do a little bit as far as run blocking goes, but I think he will improve there And as the season goes on. And luckily at tackle, not to say run blocking, not important for a tackle, 
it's not important as it would be, in my opinion, for a guard. I think it's more important for a guard to have that strength as a – if you're going to have a strength of weakness for an offensive lineman, you'd rather a guard be a better run blocker than pass blocker. You'd rather a tackle be a better pass blocker than run blocker. That's my opinion from, from my little experience of, of playing offensive line. That those are, those are my thoughts on that. You may feel free to – Feel free to disagree with that. So I like Gunnar Britton. I think he's going to be an improvement. Will he be a major improvement? I don't know, but he he'll at least be a marginal improvement over what we've seen from this uh, offensive line the past here, these past two years at least at Auburn. The next one is Dylan Wade. I talked about Gunnar Britton being a marginal improvement. I think Dylan Wade is going to be a huge improvement. He is an all-around fantastic uh, lineman, very athletic. Uh, comes from transfers from Tulsa. Obviously, the Philip Montgomery connection helped a ton here in landing him. This was a big recruiting win because USC was involved here too. USC really wanted him, and Tulsa's offensive line coach was as at USC now. So they had the connection as well. So the fact that Auburn was able to beat out Lincoln Riley and USC to to get Dylan uh, Dylan Wade. Um, was a huge, huge recruiting victory. Um, you talk about, I've talked about, you know, being able to beat guys like Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson's of the world and Georgia's of the world. USC kind of falls now, with since Lincoln Riley's out there, falls in that same category uh, as far as prestige goes. So great to get him from that standpoint, but he's also someone who's going to immediately come in, and I expect to start at one of the tackle positions. And I'm, I, I think he's, he's going to be a phenomenal player. I really do think he has the potential to be an all SEC offensive lineman. I know, I know I, I may be a little too excited about him jumping ahead too much. That's still like, he's still coming into the SEC. I, I understand. I just see that talent level from him and it, and it psych, it psychs me and I cannot wait to watch him play, uh, this season. So very much looking forward to Dylan Wade and Gunnar Britton along with the other guys I've talked about. Uh, on this offensive line that I believe will be much improved. And as we get into spring, I'll go into a further breakdown of each position and, and looking at those competitions and whatnot that we'll see kind of in spring practice. But that's, that's a, a couple months away. Moving on to Elijah McAllister. He is a transfer edge pickup from Vanderbilt. He was also one of the earlier pickups. He, he's not a flashy edge. Auburn went after some, some big time edge. Uh, defenders, they're hard to come by. I'm talking really hard to, to pick up. Edge is similar to quarterback. There's not many great ones out there in the transfer portal to get. They are one of the most sought after, one of the most important positions in college football. Auburn's defense is evolving to where really I believe they're only play with one edge slash jack linebacker type of position instead of two. And this Ron Roberts defense, nonetheless, still an important position and somewhere that Auburn's going to need production next year, especially with Derek Hall uh, moving on to the NFL. So McAllister, not really a great pass rusher, but he's a physical, he's a big guy who will be good in run defense. So it was good to pick him up as far as run defense goes uh, and setting the edge of the defense, as you as you hear it called. Uh, but as far as giving you a good pass rusher, I don't really think he adds that. But he's a smart guy. He he talked about you know possibly wanting to get his PhD. Uh, so I don't I don't think he's someone who really is focused too much on going to the next level. But he's just someone who wants to play his last year of eligibility at, at at Auburn and have a chance to be a part of a good team this upcoming season. 
and, and that's what that's what he's here for. Uh, he's here to make a difference. That doesn't mean he's not focused on football. He really wants to win, obviously, uh, but he should, he's not a next-level uh, player. Uh, and that's okay. That's fine. You you need guys like that as well. I think he'll be a good piece of this defense. A huge difference maker? No, I, I would not say that. Um, but still a piece that was needed for this Auburn team. Now to finish out the transfers and arguably the biggest and most talented transfer that Auburn got, Rivaldo Fairweather, a transfer tied in from FIU. It's not typically... Um, you don't typically think of a tight end as, as a huge difference maker, but the tight end position has evolved, and if you look at the way Hugh Freeze has used the tight end position, i.e. Evan Ingram, in the past, you know that tight ends and what Hugh Freeze can do with tight ends is extremely impressive and very important. Rivaldo Fairweather fits the mold of what Hugh Freeze wants to do. He is an athletic, a big tight end. Um, he, he can make the big play. He's, he's a pass-catching tight end. He is a, a wide receiver tight end. He's not your traditional, your no offense to Luke Deals or your Tyler Fromms or your John Shamel Shankers of the world. He, he's not one of those type of tight ends. He is a pass-catching tight end. He's not gonna be, he's not a great blocker. That's not what they're going to use him for. He's going to be out there to, to catch passes and be able to be and going to be a mismatch for linebackers trying to to cover him. I think he's going to make a big difference with a wide receiver room that we're still a little bit unsure of as far as way, way of talent, way that goes in this wide receiver room as far as uh, proven experience in the wide receiver room. Adding someone like Rivaldo Fairweather can take the pressure off of those wide receivers uh, a little bit and put a lot more pressure on opposing defenses. So again, very much, if you haven't watched any film on him, man, look up Rivaldo Fairweather highlights. He is a, a, a phenomenal player, one of the most sought-after transfers in the portal as far as tight ends went, and uh, Auburn was able to pick him up and really pick him up really quickly as well back in December. So with that, that concludes our breakdown of all the transfers coming in to Auburn at the moment. Next uh, Wednesday show, we'll talk about some needs that are still there and break those down because there are still some, of course, as I'm sure you all are, are thinking of them as we as I speak here. So we'll talk about that on the show next Wednesday. But overall, just again, I want to reiterate the fact that Hugh Freeze and the staff did an amazing job with the transfer portal in this first cycle and with high school recruiting. I, I don't think you could be any more uh, pleased. I was very surprised. Uh, I had my concerns about Hugh Freeze and as far as recruiting went. I mentioned those when he was hired. He's done a great job so far. He'll continue to try to uh, figure out what other needs are on this roster, and he'll continue to make some more transfer portal moves after the spring. Again, we'll have plenty more time to talk about that. But with that being said, we'll go to another break here, and when we return, we'll jump back to basketball and preview the Texas A&M game tonight, and we'll look ahead to the West Virginia game on Saturday. So stay tuned here to Talking Tumors. Welcome back to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. As I mentioned at the start, Auburn basketball plays a huge game tonight against Texas A&M. Their biggest game to date, A&M is 13-6, 5-1 in the SEC. I'm looking forward to this game. I'm, I'm anxious about it, I'm nervous about it, but I'm very excited 
Uh, this is, like I said, the big, biggest game so far. It won't be the biggest game of the season for Auburn. Uh, obviously, I think most would agree that that'll be the Iron Bowl on the hardwood in Auburn. But this is a big game as far as kind of setting the tone of who's really in my, who's the third best team in the SEC. And I think the winner of this game gives themselves a two-game lead on everyone else below them in that second and third spot. Actually, I think it will put Auburn in the second spot. Uh, but I still think Tennessee is probably the second best team uh, in the SEC. But that's neither here nor there. There's a lot of history in this series with Buzz Williams at Texas A&M facing off against Bruce Pearl. And really, in, in Bruce's tenure here at Auburn, he struggled against A&M. He's, I think, 3-9 and nine, uh, against A&M. A&M's also the, the team to give Auburn its only home losses twice in two different seasons. Uh, so it knows and it, and it has beaten Auburn uh, on their home court uh, in front of the jungle in Neville Arena before, and they're not going to be afraid uh, to do it again tonight if Auburn is not on their A game. Of course, you also got to go back to last season where Auburn kind of dominated them in the regular season when Auburn was on their, on their hot streak and really when they kind of peaked. And then A&M just took care of business in what was an abysmal performance uh, by Auburn in the SEC tournament, uh, that was that was painful to watch for 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 Auburn fans and uh, and A and M fans. I'm sure really enjoyed it. It was a horrible performance shooting wise from Auburn in that A and M game. They couldn't do anything offensively in in the tournament. And A and M of course went on to make the uh, SEC tournament championship. They end up losing the tournament championship to Tennessee. They should have made the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, it, it it was a crime in my opinion that they didn't. And they did really well in the NIT, of course. But this A&M team this year, another another team that's very solid, another solid Buzz Williams team, uh, returning a lot of players, guys that that you've heard of before: Henry Coleman the second, Tyrese Radford, Wade Taylor the fourth. These these are talented players, and, and they've also added a, a transfer in Julius Marble uh, from Michigan State. So this is a team that's built on defense. Uh, similar to, similar to Auburn, their strength is their defense. They're not a great shooting team. Uh, these two these two teams in Auburn and A and M are very much alike. They are different in the fact that I do think Auburn is a little bit better offensively. I do think Auburn has a few more scoring threats than than A and M has. Uh, but A and M is a better rebounding team uh, than Auburn. So this game is it, it. I really fully expect it to be a old-school, ugly, low-scoring game. Would not be surprised if it was ended up finals in the 50s. More than likely, it'll be in the 50s to 60s. I'll say that, and then it'll end up, both teams will have 40 at halftime. That seems to be how it goes. But I'll be, I would honestly be very surprised if that were the case because of the way these two teams play uh, defensively. A&M allowing around 60 points per game in conference. Uh, only about 30, That's you know, about as you think about that on average, only about 30 points a half. They hold. They've uh, been holding teams to around uh, below forty percent shooting uh, on average. This is going to be a a tough game for Auburn. But Auburn has some advantages, as I mentioned, in their ability to exploit those advantages to take uh, to take the most of those uh, opportunities are going to be crucial uh, for this team in this game. Go through a few key things about A and M. Uh, they are 12th in the country in offense. Rebounds the game, like I said. Second chance points are huge for them. They will turn you over defensively, 
but they've also been prone to do it themselves. Auburn's same exact way. Auburn has struggled with turnovers at times this season. They're also very good at creating turnovers. So what will it come down to in this game for uh, for Auburn to pull out the win against Texas A&M? I really think it's going to come down to two things. It's going to come down to second-chance points. Uh, Bruce Pearl talked about it yesterday uh, in his interview with um, the media uh, previewing this game, You know, talking about Auburn now ha- has the longest home winning streak in college basketball since Gonzaga lost, and so he was... He was asked about that and he you know, talked about what a big deal that is and how great it is playing in front of the jungle and the great atmosphere. But then he went on to say, look, this this I'm paraphrasing, but despite despite all that, you know, the crowd doesn't rebound for us, the crowd doesn't make shots for us. We're going to have to do these things well to continue winning at home and to beat Texas A and M tomorrow. So it's going to come down to second chance points for A and M. A and M is fantastic at getting like I said, rebound, second chance points, and getting fouled. They are one of the, uh, I believe, maybe 12th in the country as far as getting uh, free throws attempted. That's where they, they, that's where they get their points. They are not a great three-point shooting team. They're better uh, inside the arc, but they know how to get to the line. And Auburn, which is a scary thing for me and what makes me a little bit nervous about tonight, Auburn plays aggressive defensively, which can be a really good thing, but it also causes this team to foul a lot. And A&M wants you to do that. They want you to get into the bonus. They want to be able to get to the line. That's where, like I said, that's where they get their points. That's their strength. So if Auburn allows them to get rebounds, you see it all the time. You get these re- you get these offensive rebounds. Guys immediately go up for a second-chance basket. They get fouled. They get to the line. They knock down free throws. That can't happen. Auburn has to box out. Even if that means Auburn has to be less aggressive with their shot blocking, then so be it. They just cannot afford to lose this rebounding battle at a uh, at a with a large margin. They're not going to be able to overcome a large margin uh, of rebounding discrepancy and win this game. So I say all that to say I think that Auburn possibly, as far as defense should go tonight, play a 2-3 zone that we've seen from them some this year. The reason being because of Tyrese Radford and Wade Taylor for A&M, who are two very good guards at driving and penetrating. They're no doubt going to be aggressive. Auburn has struggled, as we've talked about in the past, against guards who are good at getting to the basket. They have they have beaten these Auburn guards in one-on-one uh, scenarios. I think of the Memphis game, think of the Georgia game, uh, those two most specifically. So how does Auburn handle it? Well, against Arkansas, they went to the 2-3 zone. It worked perfectly. Arkansas was not a good three-point shooting team. I think Auburn's going to do that again tonight against A&M and try to force A&M into tough shots. That's what I would do. I would try to force them into tough threes, some uh, late shot clock opportunities, stay disciplined in that 2-3 zone. If they knock down threes, keep your hat off to them. And that's the way I would play them. The problem with the 2-3 zone against a team like A&M that's very good at rebounding is when you're in that 2-3 zone, it's hard to find what guy you're supposed to box out. That opens up gaps. These guys get in there. They get offensive rebounds. They get second-chance points. Well, then the 2-3 zone, essentially, at that point, is worthless because they're still scoring. So that's the balance that the staff has to figure out tonight. Can we run this 2-3 zone, and can we still get rebounds? If they don't feel like they can run the zone and still rebound, then they're going to have to switch to -to man-to-man and have confidence in their guards to be able to stop these drives from uh, Radford and from Taylor 
uh, in this game. Something to certainly keep an eye on tonight. I feel like they can still rebound at a at a high enough level while playing the two three zone, but we'll we'll see what it looks like. I'm I'll be very intrigued to watch that. It's just something to keep your eye on if you weren't thinking about that. Uh, something that kind of stood out uh, to me. The other other key: who's going to play cleaner offensively? A uh, and M again, very good defensive team. They're going to trap the ball screens. And that's what killed Auburn in the SEC tournament. And, and what killed Auburn down the stretch, and eventually what was the main reason they fell off like they did in the SEC tournament, in the NCAA tournament, was last year teams took away the pick-and-roll offense from Auburn, and there was no other offense there. Luckily, Auburn has seemed to have evolved a little bit this season offensively, and when the pick-and-roll isn't there, there's still an offense. There seems to still be a flow offensively, at least, whether that's working it down to Janai Broom, whether that's getting flex action cuts from from Alan Flanagan, um, whatever that is, there still seems to be a little bit more flow. Getting it to Jalen Williams, letting him use his his hook shot, there there seems to be other things that this team can do. So that's going to be important, but also not turning it over offensively when those traps do come. If Auburn does try to run some ball screens, which I expect they still will uh, tonight, that's going to be crucial. Still finding ways to get the ball to Jalen Williams, to get the ball to uh, Janai Broom. Uh, that's going to be important. Not uh, playing cleaner offensively. That that doesn't mean that you necessarily score 80 points. All that means is you get good looks. You don't turn the ball over. That that's what it comes down. And you got to make some. You got to make some open looks. You get some open threes. You got to knock down some of those uh, tonight. I'm very intrigued to see the matchup of the forwards. The front court, I believe, is a strength is a is a strength of this Auburn team. But you're facing a pretty solid front court for A&M as well. Henry Coleman's second. We know he's he's a four. Uh, he's a very talented rebound and great defender. I assume he'll be matched up more with Jalen Williams. Is Jalen Williams still able to get to his spot and knock down his 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 hook shot like he likes to? That'll be something that I'll I'll be keen in into tonight to see if he's able to do that. And then Janai Broom. How does he match up tonight against Julius Marble, uh, a big uh, defender? Uh, physical five for A and M. Watching this front court tonight is is going to be another uh, thing that I'll be interested in seeing. Because Auburn dominated against South Carolina, this is going to be a much more talented front court that they're going to see from A and M. So that's another intriguing uh, matchup. All in all, Auburn should win this game. Auburn is the better team, and they're at home. But A and M is they're a good team. They have a they again very good defense. And they know how to get to the line and make free throws. That's kind of where their offense resides. And uh, they can turn your strengths into weaknesses. So I'm nervous about this game, but I'm cautiously optimistic with it being at home. Auburn gets a big win. And then they'll turn their attention to West Virginia on Saturday. And that's going to be a tough one, having to travel to West Virginia. It's the SEC Big 12 uh, Challenge this weekend. West Virginia is 11 and 8 and 1 and 6 in conference. Now that sounds bad, but I would argue the Big 12 uh, is the best conference in college basketball this season. I know there may be some pushback on that. To to let you know why this West Virginia record is a little bit deceiving, despite this record, they're still on the bubble or even in the NCAA tournament according to projections right now. That tells you all you need to know about this team. They beat TCU who is one of the uh, better teams in college basketball this season, who just had a big win over Kansas last week. 
So this team can beat Auburn. I don't know a ton about them. I did a little bit of research on them. Uh, they're also not a great three-point shooting team from what I looked at, but they do average uh, seven, 77 points per game. Uh, as far as what I believe it'll come down to uh, in this game, I think it'll, uh, again, like, like the A&M game, they're another team who does a good job of getting to the line. So playing good D without fouling them is going to be important. Uh, forcing them to take outside shots. You may see a zone defense against them as well. As far as common opponents go uh, for West Virginia, uh, they beat Florida by 30 in non-conference. I mean, that's a pretty big win. Uh, so this will be a fun uh, game just because it's it's a game that you don't typically see, and Auburn goes to West Virginia, somewhere they, they don't typically go. Uh, but it's going to be a tough matchup. Of course, West Virginia has a historically great coach, and Bob Huggins up there. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to this matchup on Saturday. Not as excited about it as I am about tonight's game, but it'll still be a great opportunity for Auburn to pick up a good win as far as padding their resume for the NCAA tournament if they're able to pull that off on Saturday. It's going to be a challenging week. It, it is going to be a challenging week. Auburn could go anywhere from 0-2 to 2-0 in this week. It is, all those scenarios are on the table, and how they play uh, will we'll obviously determine that. I think they could certainly go 2-0 and this week, and that will be outstanding. will be very phenomenal and really would probably pretty much go ahead and seal seal the deal as far as them getting into the NCAA tournament. They go 0-2 this, this week. Uh, it won't be good, but it would certainly not knock them out of the NCAA tournament. 1-1, one one, you probably kind of stay where you're at. I think uh, metrics kind of expect Auburn to go 1-1 one one this week. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a fun week. We'll know even more about this team after these next two games. I think we have a pretty good feel about them now, but we'll know uh, even more after these two games. So make sure you're tuned in to Auburn basketball tonight and on Saturday. It's a late tip, 8 o'clock tonight. I'm not looking forward to that, uh, but I will be in the jungle nonetheless. So stay tuned. We'll go to our last break, and we'll be back after this with our last segment. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No. Welcome back now to Talking Tumors, our final segment here. I want to talk about something that's been a little bit of a uh, heated debate on social media over the last week or so. Ever since Peyton Manning on the Manning cast on ESPN2 for for Monday Night Football, and this was happened during the, the wild card weekend, but he said that halftime adjustments were a myth. So I, I thought that was interesting. I, and, you know, I, being a former, again, he played in the NFL. I didn't play in the NFL. I was a, you know, just played in high school. But I didn't really agree with that. So there have been debate from, from, I'm sure, folks who have played the sport that haven't, you know, whether or not that this is a, this is true or, or, or not. Are halftime adjustments really a myth? In my opinion, no, they are not a myth. Now, can they be blown out of proportion? Absolutely. I, I certainly believe that because you're making adjustments throughout the game. In, in, in football, I'm talking football here, in, but in every sport, you're making the adjustments as the game goes on. So, you know, you go to, like for instance, you're, I, was a, I was an offensive lineman, so I didn't play on defense side of the ball. So, you know, when defense was out on the field, we were done. We'd go sit in the chairs. We'd look at, you know, we had the little iPads. We could watch the, the previous drives. You're making adjustments as the game goes on. But at, at halftime, a lot of times, you're, it's, a, it's like after a game. You're able to look at things a little bit more big picture, figure out, okay, some things that maybe I wasn't able to communicate to everyone, the guys you're, 
who are doing different things in, in high school that are playing both sides of the ball. You may not be able to com- communicate this adjustment to them. So you're, so you're trying to communicate that to those guys. But at a college or professional level, you know, guys only play one side of the ball for the most part. So yeah, I guess I see the point that you're making adjustments as the game goes on. But I still think there are things that, that you talk about at halftime that you either reiterate, uh, that you didn't really feel like were, uh, went through during the game with the heat of the moment and the crowd and everything that you got to get into a more, uh, uh, get better headspace to be able to discuss these things. So I, I don't think that it's a myth that halftime, of uh, halftime adjustments. However, I don't, I would agree that probably they are blown out of proportion that you can go in there and just completely change your game plan for the second half. No, I don't think that that is necessarily the case, but you can certainly go in there and say, okay, we were blocking this way, we're going to block this way, um, or we tried to make this adjustment here. So I I think if, if Peyton were to explain what he really meant by that, I think he, was, he wasn't saying that adjustments don't happen in a game. I think he was just saying that that adjustments happen throughout. They don't really happen at halftime. Maybe, maybe for him, it, it re- that really was the case. That he was able to adjust things. Things went on. Halftime was really just a, a break for him. But I do feel like more adjustments may be made during the halftime break. I hope that makes sense to you. I just wanted to give my my two cents on that that whole whole debate. And so does somebody else. And and you know, I debated whether to bring this up or not, but. Brian Harson decided to throw his two cents in on it too, and I just couldn't help but laugh. Uh, he he decided to post that clip on his uh, Instagram story uh, because you know a lot of criticism. And again, somebody who really was narcissistic in the in the way that he looked for for tweets and and things on himself during his time at Auburn. Uh, it it really is quite sickening if if you think about it. But but he he goes and. One of the main criticisms, as we know, was the fact that people fussed about Auburn in the second half. So the fact that he got out coached, didn't make adjustments at halftime. Those were some things you heard about him. So the fact that he were, he went and decided to post that clip on his Instagram was, it was quite petty, I thought, and, uh, just makes me, uh, I'm, I'm more glad every day that, that he is no longer the Auburn, uh, head football coach. Uh, that that was uh, that was certainly interesting. Just and you just have to laugh uh, when you saw that. Said, so, oh, yeah. I just kind of said, oh, I know, I, I know that you you must not have uh, believed in halftime adjustments, or I believe we maybe would have played better in some in second halves under you. So uh, there's that. Sorry if I'm being a little petty now, but I I just couldn't help couldn't help but share that. I thought that was that was quite interesting. But to conclude here today, I do want to finish out talking a little bit about gymnastics. Auburn Gymnastics had a phenomenal meet Friday night. I really enjoyed going to that, uh, watching them perform. They did a, a fantastic job. I know absolutely nothing about gymnastics. Don't understand it one bit. But I was extremely impressed um, by what they did. They did beat Arkansas, uh, so they got a win there. They faced NC State uh, this Friday night back in Neville Arena. Um, so I'll be looking forward uh, to that meet again and seeing what they can do if they look to continue to improve upon their scores. I know that's the biggest deal is uh, beating the scores that they put forth in each of the previous meets, uh, more so than the competition that they're that they're going against. So I'll be looking forward to that. So make sure you stay tuned uh, with Auburn Gymnastics as well. And we'll do a couple quick picks on some games this Saturday in college basketball in the SEC and Big 12 matchup. 
I first want to talk about Texas at Tennessee. Rick Barnes, of course, was a coach at Texas before Tennessee. Texas is 10th ranked in the country, Tennessee 4th. And this should be a really fun game. It's in Knoxville. Again, two top 10 teams. I like Tennessee in this matchup. But this is going to be a really intriguing game to see how the SEC matches up against what I just said earlier was what I thought the best conference in college basketball in the Big 12. Then you get Kansas at Kentucky. Ah, Kentucky, another win last night, another big win last night. Have they figured things out? I, I think they have, and that's scary for the rest of the SEC. They face Kansas, who has struggled here a little bit in the last few games. They travel to Kentucky. This would solidify, in my opinion, that Kentucky is back if they can pull off this win. So a big game this weekend for Kentucky. I like Kentucky. I, I think they're going to get it done. I'm going the SEC and this one. Thank you all for tuning in to Talkin' Tumors today on Weagle 91.1. Always appreciate whether you listen live or listen on podcasts. Uh, I, I really appreciate it either way. We'll look forward to seeing you back again next week on Talkin' Tumors. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle and see you next time.